Toronto Stock Exchange down about 8.5% or so for the year now. S&P in negative territory. Uh, we've been chronicling the massive moves in the stock market. You can always tell that it's uh, something pretty pr- uh, dramatic when the mainstream media actually mentions it in a newscast. Uh, it's interesting to me. Right now, though, I'm welcome, very pleased, that's not a great rationalization, I'm very pleased to have Ryan Irvine join me right now. Ryan, of course, is Keystocks.com, Keystone Financial. Ryan, uh, let's just get right into this. you got this massive market downturn. What's the message to investors? Is this sort of good news, like you've got your powder dry and you are looking right now saying, finally, I can get some of the stocks I've been following into a range I like? Or is it, man, I'm just going to stay in the sidelines for a while? I think it's a combination of both. Uh, greetings uh, to you, and good to talk to you again. But um, it, it does sound a little bit strange. But this is when you see this type of action in the market, it, we start to lick our chops a little bit. Um, we we we're not seeing blood in the streets or anything yet, but um, the market drops. And when the market drops 12%, it kind of looks like you you know you should jump in. But uh, uh, for a good part of this year, we thought many stocks out there, individual companies, were 20 to 30 percent overvalued. So it may not, uh, it may not be done yet. And you know, it can be a tough time to be an investor. It's the toughest time when the market turns against you. But um, and we see corrections test investors. Even seasoned investors can really be rattled in a market like this, and they can be death for novice or beginners. But the real money, and that's why we get excited, is, is made in down markets, not in bull runs. Uh, and again, this can count, kind of sound counterintuitive, but it's when we dig in as analysts and, and, and can, you know, the research that we've been conducting and are building our monitor list for the past year, they start to pay off now because you see some assets come on sale and you can reap the rewards when we eventually do see an upturn in the market. A couple of things of what you said there. The first is, I know that you recommend this all the time, but it's good to uh, reemphasize, and that is, uh, you put a, you sort of get a list together of stocks, but it doesn't mean you accumulate them at that moment. You know, you're sort of as, as I always call that, put some on your radar, and then you sit back and wait till it gets to a valuation level that you're comfortable with. Yes, of course, and we call that our monitor list, and we have, you know, that built out. We have that company sitting there at all time, to- or that list sitting there at all times. And it's a number of uh, companies that we just have that we love the businesses, we like the, the fundamentals behind the business, but are they trading at a reasonable price right now? Often the answer is no. Uh, and for the better part of this year, uh, for the first seven months, most of the companies on our monitor list appeared very expensive. But the market, with it correcting right now, we start to see value. And again, like I said, it's not bargain basement levels, uh, and we're going to be patient with these companies and enter uh, at appropriate times. But, um, but we're starting to see you know, points where we can see some value, where you know, literally for a year or two we have not seen that stark value that we'd like to see when we look at a company. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting when you say that. There's a, a couple of things on the wish list side of things. Uh, you know, I do the same. I sort of build this little list of companies and kind of get an idea where I'm more interested in accumulating them. And again, I guess uh, for me, what I like to hear you say, and this is a distinction I think people make a lot of mistakes doing. I certainly learned it the hard way myself. And that is there's a big difference between saying, hey, I love the company, love what it's doing, and I love the price I have to pay to buy it. 
That's kind of like saying, hey, you think this car is an excellent car, but they're asking 10 times too much for it. Well, but that's a mistake I see. And as I say, I learned that the hard way. I learned that very early on, that there was a big difference between quality and value. Yeah, and and value is the key there. You you always want to look at quality companies. I mean, that almost is a given, but you you need to be disciplined and and, and buy them at a a reasonable price. The advice that we always give when you're building a small cap or growth stock portfolio we like to buy 10 to 12 stocks, and but buy them slowly. You buy them over a 12 to 18-month period. What this does, and it, that can frustrate people at times because they, they join our service or they're using a research uh, service, and, and they want to you know, buy all their assets right at once and buy those 12 companies and get started right away. Well, you know, a correction like this teaches you that you know, if you would have bought all your assets uh, in April of this year, which would probably be a market top for this year, uh, you, you bought at a high, but if you patiently built that and, and you know just had three or four stocks in your portfolio, if you started in April, um, you know you're now going to have some cash on the sidelines that you can deploy when when you can really make some money, and that's that's as the market declines, and that is when you want to be a buyer long term. I mean, anecdotally, the, the most recommendations that we've given over the past ten years it was right after twenty. 2008-2009. That is yeah. when we came out with the most recommendations we have over a 6-12 to 12 month period. It's because the value was there. These companies were on our monitor list for years, but they came into a range that presented value to us, and we could quite possibly see this. Uh, we're starting to see it now, and we could see it more into the fall this year, and that's when we'll start to carefully layer into some new positions. I'm talking with Ryan Irvine. He's uh, Keystone Financial. You can find them, though, at keystocks.com. And just a reminder about what Ryan does, is, and the re- reason I know Ryan is years and years ago, I like the methodology they're employing. In fact, it was very similar to my own, and I thought, my God, this is exactly why you buy an investment service, because he's doing all the work at a fraction of the cost, and my time was worth more to me than that. And, of course, his track record's been excellent, but I also love... Uh, what they do with Aaron Dunn, and that's a a yield portfolio. You know, if you're more, uh, Ryan's looking at growth situations, undiscovered companies that probably are not in some big pension fund or uh, in a major mutual fund. He wants them before they get there. But on the other side, you've got uh, Aaron looking for, you know, yield opportunities, and uh, they've done an excellent job with that. And I'm I'm coming up to the clock here. So what I think I'll do is I'll take a break with Ryan, but I'm going to come back, and I'm going to put him on the spot. He just talked about his monitor list. Well, we've had a pretty good correction so far in the market. As he said, started probably in April, but really hitting uh, full steam in the last week or so. We'll see if anything's starting to come down to that list and coming into more of a buying range with Ryan when we do that. Right here across the Chorus Radio Network, you're listening to Money Talks, brought to you by Solera Club. Coming up, I've got a shocking stat of the week. I've also got Victor Adair live from the trading desk, Ozzy Jurek, really talking about, hey, don't do this if you're buying real estate. And on the other side, try doing this if you want to be successful. All of that coming your way with a Goofy Award. Right now, Ryan Irvine's on the line with me, Keystone Financial. You can find them at www.keystocks.com. Ryan specializes uh, the company looks at across the board, but Ryan himself spends time looking for stocks that are not really on everyone's radar at this point, he, although many he's found become on other people's radar a couple of years later, but he looks for those that are sort of undeveloped uh, 
undiscovered gems. Ryan, I want to start with uh, the other thing that we're greeting. We've been talking about the stock market decline, but we, you know, the other decline that's pretty obvious, we could call it, go to oil, by the way, but we could go to the Canadian dollar. So I kind of keep looking around for companies that might benefit from either that weak dollar or strength in the U.S. dollar. And I'm just wondering, do you take those kind of macro things into account? Yeah, without a doubt. We actually have a list of companies. It's been a major theme for our, uh, the past couple of years in our Focus Buy portfolio is companies that uh, a lot of them are Canadian companies, but they have you know over 80% of their business in the U.S. And they some of them have costs even in Canadian dollars and sales are coming in in U.S. dollars, which you know really provides a bump yeah. to the bottom line. And, and yeah, it, there's definitely companies that we see and have in our list that we, we, we recommend right now and have nope. been for the last two years. Yeah, those are my favorites. <laughs> yeah, well, I, okay, so so here's the the obvious question. Give me one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and this is one that uh, it's been we've been recommending this stock for six, seven years. We recommended it on the show six years ago. Um, it's called the Boyd Group Income Fund. It's BYD.UN. Uh, this company, it's just such a great business. It's on the TSX. Do you mind if I just interrupt you for a sec? Because I just want to tell people. Ryan first recommended this, and then he did it at the World Outlook Conference in one of the first, I think it was maybe the first World Outlook Conference portfolio. I got to tell you, this stock was trading in a range between 250 and $4. Uh, I, I think the last time I looked, it was 52 Dollars. So, you're, you didn't mention that part. I call the you call it the Boyd uh, Group Income Fund. I call it the home run. Well, it's it's. I mean, you don't need many stocks like this in your portfolio to make a real difference over yeah. time. It's it's done tremendously well. But it's, but it's an easy story to understand too. That, that's what we love about it. It's just a damn simple business. They fix automobiles, and recession or not, most people find it essential to keep their method of getting from point A to B running. And Boyd is the largest operator of non-franchise collision repair centers in North America. Um, it's one of the largest in terms of sales as well. They have uh, locations in five Canadian provinces, but that's not the real story here. They, they have locations uh, under Boyd Auto Body and Glass as well as Gerber in the U.S. in 17 states. Over 80% of their business is banked in U.S. dollars. They pay a, a dividend every month. It's only a 1% yield now because we've seen tremendous growth, but that dividend keeps growing over time, which is something we like. Uh, if we saw a pullback uh, in Boyd shares, I mean, right now, if you're looking to buy two to five years out, it's a great company. Uh, if you saw a pullback, this is something we would not hesitate to add. Despite the fact that it's been growing tremendously, it continues to increase the growth rate. So in its last quarter, sales were up by about 38% to $278 million, And adjusted EBITDA increased 41%. That's cash flow. It was up 41% in the last quarter, $25 million. Now, it's not cheap in the traditional sense of the word. It trades about 22 times this year's adjusted earnings. But given the fact that it's cash flow is growing at around 30%, and we expect to continue to see that, it remains attractive. On top of that, you know, its business is in U.S. dollars. It, the currency conversion back to U.S. dollars is powering this stock. And you've seen that, like, we were talking about the market being down 12% or 12%, 15% since April. Um, this stock is up 12% over that period. It tends to perform very well in times of turmoil and in recessionary times, and that's what we're seeing now. And we would hold this company for two to five years. Management has done an excellent job acquiring companies, and we think they buy them at reasonable prices, and it'll grow over time. Uh, let me ask you about uh, 
a couple of stocks that maybe have come down in price. Uh, you know, what, what Ryan Service does, by the way, he recommends the buy, but he'll also tell you when to hold, when to sell. So a hold might be an industry that a company he likes very much, but he doesn't like the price anymore. He doesn't think that's the time to accumulate it. So now we've had some drop in some companies. I'm just wondering, can you give us one um, that sort of jumps out? You say, okay, now I'm back. I'm interested again. I've always liked the company, but I like the price now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's one company is SPL Group. We talked about it at the Outlook, and it's about back in that range that it was there. Now we recommended it earlier this year when it was a lower price, but the stock shot up to as high as about four dollars. It's about two dollars and forty cents now. Um, we love the story behind it, but we also love the fin- the fundamentals. And at the Outlook, we mentioned one of our themes was the sea change in the way we choosing to consume media. Now, mm-hmm. companies like Netflix have completely altered the landscape. Uh, the incumbent cable and telco companies are running scared. So you have cable co's with their content, but their delivery systems are out of date. Now, as their subscribers are eroding, they are plus, pressed to implement new user-friendly experiences under new models. And, that, and then enter SPL, symbol is ESP on the TSX. And they have a software system that essentially gives clients, their clients, all their cable co-clients, so it would be if you were a subscriber to Shaw, say, uh, they would, your user interface would be through SPL, uh, and that is giving you a Netflix-type experience through their software. Now, we've seen a drop just in the last month in this company's shares. Uh, right now, its market cap is in the range of $82 million. Now, it has $45 million in cash in the bank, so that's about 56% of its market cap in cash, and there's no debt in this company. And what can I, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, I look at that company, and it's in that sphere. How do you factor in that there might be a big competitor comes in, or can you factor that in? Because I, I, I agree with you. I love the company. I mean, what's not to like about in a, an environment where cash is difficult, Yes. You know, and you got a company with over half of the, you know, what you're paying for is already in cash. So you, you know, you mentioned it's 82 million in, in market cap. If you bought the whole company, outstanding. Yeah, but you'd immediately get 45 million in cash back. Yeah, you I mean, know, and, that, and the, for us, what that does is makes it attractive and as an acquisition target. And we, we yeah, I was going to say I might buy it myself on Monday. The yeah. whole company, I meant. It's true. You're in, uh, but no, the. They have, they have a competitor, but um, they are the leader in the market right now. And, and we, when we choose companies tech-focused, we like to choose market-leading companies. And this company is a little Canadian company, but they're a market leader. So they are attractive as a takeover for larger companies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so th- that, that's, how, that, that's how we would play this. We don't think it's you know, a takeover target at this point, but we also just like the fundamentals with, with the we think this company will earn around $0.16 cents to $0.20 cents next year. Um, that puts its P.E. in the range of 6 to 8 uh, when you take the cash value out because it's over half in cash. It has five consecutive quarters of revenue growth and profitability. Uh, it has a number of uh, outstanding letters of intent with an other cable codes. There's three that have signed on with it right now, and the, the revenues from those and the profitability really will kick in next year. So I think the company is going to be sleepy right here in the market for the next three to six months, particularly through the volatility. But what you can do is layer into a position in this. You can buy 25% or half of your position now if you're afraid of the volatility. Uh, If things settle down, uh, you can add to your position. Perhaps it'll be at a higher price. But if they don't, 
you can add to your full position and, and, and complete your position over the next two to three months, and, and, you've, and you've purchased at a lower average cost. I mean, we like this company for the next two to three to five years, so uh, we're yeah. buying it you know, on sale right now, and I think even if it gets cheaper, we'll buy more. Okay, we only got about two minutes left. Because I, I, the other thing, I just want to remind people that you do uh, U.S. growth research also, and you yeah. do reports on that. Give me one example. Well, I'll give you the first example on the show of our U.S. research. It's Ebix Inc. The symbol is E B I X on the Nasdaq. It trades around twenty-eight dollars. It has a dividend yield of just around one percent, but we expect it to be a dividend grower over time. What this company does is they have a software as a service type solution. Uh, for e-commerce solution for in insurance and financial industries, essentially providing back office or back-end services to this business. They have a strong historical and expected growth profile. It's a utility-based revenue model, which we like. 80% of the business is recurring revenues, uh, high margins and opportunity to improve there as well, attractive valuation to similar companies. We think this company is trading at, like I said, $28.00. $2.56 in earnings next year. It gives it a PE forward looking around 11. In the market, similar companies are trading between 20 and 30 times earnings. So you're buying it at a discount to its peers, which is what we like. It's growth going forward at a reasonable price, and we like it. It's performed well this year. It's come on, it's come off a little bit in the in the past in the sell-off that we see in over the past month, but. It's a reasonable price going forward, and you could, again, layer into position in this company, and we'd be comfortable with that. Look, if you want to, by the way, Ryan also participates in the Inside Edge with Money Talks. That's moneytalks.net. And what you do is you can sign on and, and uh, become a subscriber to the Inside Edge. Uh, Ryan Irvine's there. Uh, Greg Weldon's there. Mark Leibovit is there, uh, giving us some terrific insights, information. Uh, and the other thing is that, as I say, I just want to remind people that they do an income stock report. So if that's your bent, then you go to keystocks.com, www.keystocks.com. Ryan, I want to say two things. Thank you for sending the time, and congratulations on being a new father. Oh, thank you so much. I think I'll give uh, credit to my partner on that. She did all the work. but <laughs> Oh, I know what that's like, but isn't it the best thing that's ever happened? Oh, yeah. For sure, it changes your life. It's great, yeah. for sure. Wonderful stuff. Much. Yeah, congratulations. I'll take a break. I'll come back. That's Ryan Irving, Keatstocks.com. Shocking stat next. You're listening to Money Talks. My name is Mike Campbell. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. You can find them at soleraclub.com. Time now for this week's shocking stat of the week. Obviously, we've been focusing here on the major declines in stock markets in the TSX, Dow Jones, what's happening in China. I mean, we've got the TSX down 8% for the year. Obviously, some groups and individual stocks are doing far far worse. China this, uh, literally, China this week was down 12%. Big declines Monday and Tuesday. But that's not the whole story, and that brings me to my shocking stat. Just so you get the big picture, uh, thanks to Michael Schneider, by the way, of the Economic Collapse blog, did all, these, all this work. He compiled a list of stock exchanges. Are you ready? 23 countries are in crash conditions, not declines, crash. And not so coincidentally, their currencies are too. Maybe you saw this week, the Daily Tele- or the Telegraph, rather, in the UK had this story. Doomsday clock for global market crash strikes one minute to midnight as central banks lose control, end of quote. 
The key point is that central bankers have little ammo left if there are credit problems. I mean, you already got zero interest rates, negative interest rates in Europe, record lows elsewhere. The governments have spent trillions of dollars supporting government bonds, and that didn't solve the problem. And I might add, throughout the world, politicians are making matters worse. I'm just trying to think of an area where that's not the case. And I might add, Canada's in a lot better shape than any other Western country I know, at this point, anyways. It's incredible. Equity funds in the U.S. in the last 12 months, and I'm happy about this, they've lost $159 billion in redemptions. I'm happy about it because some people are out of harm's way at this point. Maybe they can jump in when they see the values they want. I mean, my goodness, I can't think how long I've been recommending. You've got to always come back to your portfolio. Even You know, when Ryan's talking about stocks, you've got to fit it into your portfolio. But I said, look at your portfolio. And you've got to make sure you're taking the appropriate risk, especially, I mean, you're greedy in this environment, you're dead. There's nothing wrong with being defensive. I like cash. But here's this, I mean, come back to that shocking stat. 23 markets are in crash mode this in the last year it's unbelievable they're coming from the emerging markets and that brings me back to Don Cox's old line which we love emerging markets are markets you can't emerge from in an emergency emerging markets are markets you can't emerge from in emergency is that ever appropriate now but I didn't find many people who are aware of it wasn't just China it wasn't just what's happening in North America You've got full-scale crash conditions in 23 stock markets throughout the world. And if you don't think that has implications around the world, including in Canada, well, you're a bit naive. I'll take a break. I'll come back. Ozzy Jurek, there are certain do's and don'ts uh, of, if you're thinking about real estate as an investment. And I want to get to them with him. Plus, Victor Adair, live from the trading desk. And I've got a goofy award. A little bit different this week, what I'm going to talk about. I'm talking about this major, major stupidity, major nonsense, major myth perpetrated in this country on a regular basis, front and center of the federal election. And I'm telling you, it's dangerous stuff. And there's no evidence why you would ever believe it. You've got all the contrary evidence, and yet we still do. That's my goofy award. I'll do that before we're done here on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm just sitting here thinking it was, uh, I think it was June 26th that we first said China is about to be a major problem for the rest of the world and our stock markets. That was June 26th. But that creates a certain sort of mindset, at least that I had at that point. It was get defensive. And that brings me to our topic of the week with Ozzy Jurek. And you can find Ozzy at Jurek.com. Ozzy, you've done a great job, by the way, for our audience, making them money. I mean, you got them into Phoenix and, and back into the, some of the hot markets in, in Canada. You know, back four years ago, five years ago, you know, coming in the aftermath of the, you know, credit crisis, uh, you started to I- identify certain markets. And then, uh, you know, we're completely consistent with us here in saying we've got to get some money in the U.S. because I love the U.S. dollar. But I don't want to talk about that right now. What I want to talk about is how not to lose money. And as I say, that's my mindset these days. So, you know, how do people lose money? What are the things that jump into your mind when I say that? Well, the thing is that we, we always have certain markets that we love uh, 
And then we think that we are buying a market, but we never buy a market. We buy a specific property. For instance, you could buy the wrong product in that market. You don't understand the system, the jurisdiction you're in. You know, Mexico is different than than some other parts of the world. And buying without a subject when you haven't sold your house yet, that is coming to me when we we getting closer to a peak in a market, maybe in Vancouver for a while. That's going to be the biggest problem that people just rush out and, and do that. I, I've seen that before. I mean, I know that anecdotally, you know, that that's, that's a huge problem for people. They're right at the end of the sort of froth period. So they, they go buy something and they haven't sold their house and they get caught. You know, yeah. I got actually a couple of real good friends doing that. So, uh, no, so they buy the wrong product, or another, another like one, buy the wrong product, two, not understand the system jurisdiction, and three, maybe you buy something you haven't sold your house. I, I, just, I want you to elaborate, though, on the wrong products part for a second. Yeah, let's take Whistler. If you bought just a regular condo, that's a full personal-use condo in 1998, you would have seen your value at least double, even in some buildings more than double. Had you bought a Phase 2 condo, which gives you sort of a personal-use restrictions only so many days in the winter, so many in the summer, you would be just about even after all of these years. But had you bought a quarter share, you would have lost 40% of your investment. And if you bought a hotel unit, you lost 60% in some cases, more than 60% of your investment. I just want to stay on this for a second because I see this mistake made myself. I haven't made, hey, this is one that I can actually say I didn't make this myself. (laughs) But uh, usually when we're talking, I can go, oh, my gosh, that's a bad memory. But, no, I didn't on this one, but I think it bears repeating here because what you're saying basically is if you could identify the market right, even the timing right, and you, you know, so you go buy what we're sort of familiar with. I bought the, the condo, I bought the house, and of course it goes up. But if you grabbed instead fractional ownership, man, you got nailed. Yeah, no question. So I you mean, did everything else right. Yeah. Yeah, you did right. But then it's the same. So many markets, people are always saying, oh, I can buy a $20,000 house in Phoenix. Yeah, if you want to collect your rent with your gun. You know, I mean, the, the local <laughs> market is really important to understand. But there's also another big one the, on fractional ownership. There's timeshare. You know, people saying, I bought a timeshare real estate investment. It's not an investment. It's not real estate. Imagine you buy a, into a 200-suite building. The developer needs to sell 10,000 weeks. So it's always in competition with you. No matter when you want to sell, he's got 50 or so more units uh, mm-hmm. selling against you in better times. So. What, what about... Uh like the title registration. You mentioned Mexico a, a minute ago, and it's not the same. I'm not familiar with what's going on in Mexico. Yeah, that, that you hit the nail on that. It's really a, an important uh, consideration. We have the British Torrent system, which gives us indefeasible titles, sort of the, the safest system you have. In the United States, you have a very strong title insurance system. In Mexico, you also have some title insurance, but it essentially is sort of a Napoleonic system with with notaries and lengthy uh, legal systems. So you go into some legal situation, a, di- a dispute uh, with, say, the, the common area the uh, corporation, it might take you two years to, to get uh, even a hearing. Then there's corruption. And the horror story is unbelievable. I just added uh, nine websites to my fax by email to my subscribers. It's not just me saying that, and maybe you, your, your in-laws got lucky or somebody bought something, but there is a lot of problems buying in Mexico because you don't understand. We seem to think the same legal system applies as here. And it's, it's so much naivety. It's unbelievable. You know, so much naivety. Uh, let me just, uh, we only got a minute or so left, and I want to get some hot properties in here. Just, just very quickly, uh, 
you just mentioned this, and I just want to reiterate it because, as I said, I knew people who made this mistake that they bought a house, or they bought a new property, and they hadn't even sold their first house. Uh, that does worry me if we're going to have just a little slowdown here. Yeah, no question. A lady called me this week. She listed her home. She she was assured it would sell quickly. Then she wanted to buy another, but had to buy that one without subjects. And now she has to close next week. She was looking for desperate money. Even if she finds the money, she's going to have two mortgage payments, and and it's just not in. Get it mm-hmm. ourselves quickly, sell it, and then make the move. That's great advice. I really hope people re-listen to this on moneytalks.net because, uh, as I say, I'm in this mode that says, hey, it's great to make money. Let's figure out my number one rule of investing is protect your capital, so let's figure out how not to lose money. As I say, great list, Aussie. Uh, what about a hot property? We've got a foreclosure on Guilford, Surrey. It's a two-bedroom suite. It's 138 It looks like a smoking deal, but like all foreclosures, that may not be the final price. You have to have a good realtor and make an offer and wait it out. But this looks like a real smoking deal. And, and of course, the other side of that is also uh, go see the properties yourselves. Ozzy said that from day one on this show. Go see the property yourself. Don't take someone else's word for it. And, uh, you know, make sure it fits with what you're doing with your financial life. Ozzy, as usual, great job. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Mike. Have a great weekend. Great. Ozzy Jurek, J-U-R-O-C-K, J-U-R-O-C-K, Jurek.com. I'll take a break. I'm going to come back. Victor Adair has had a busy week. He's live from the trading desk. Plus, I've got a goofy award for you, so stay with us. Incredible week in the markets. It's been, I mean, as I say, I'm just sitting here. There's where do you describe it? Victor Adair is going to help me do that. Victor Adair joins me live from the trading desk right now. Victor, I mean, talk about a correlation around the world with stock markets. It's been incredible. Yeah, there was a, a connectedness, certainly, with stock markets around the world. They all fell. Uh, but a connectedness, as it were, uh, you know, whether it was credit markets or currency markets or commodity markets, Certainly, and I mean, here's a perspective. You know, we're in the middle of August. As I say, all the adults are off on vacation somewhere, and the kids are running the trading desks. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times can I remember over the years where you'd have some some rather uh, dramatic experience uh, in the month of August, and then come, and we get into September, and everybody comes back to work, and it's a whole different ball game. But I mean, we did have the Dow Jones fall. A thousand points this week. That'll catch your attention. Uh, we had the U.S. dollar fall sharply against the euro currency and the Japanese yen, but on the other hand, it skyrocketed against a number of emerging market currencies. In the credit markets, you really saw this. Capital was looking for safety. There was like the get me out of this crap kind of mentality. I want to own safe stuff, whether it's German bonds, U.S. Treasuries, Canadian bonds, whatever, and I want to sell my junk bonds. And the one thing certainly the market's been watching is the is the Fed going to or not uh, raise interest rates come September. I'll tell you right now the sentiment at the end of the week is no way, Jose, are they going to raise yeah. rates in September? Maybe not even December, maybe not ever. You know that's kind of how this psychology always goes to the extremes. And in some some respects, Mike, I think we may have had an extreme event this week. I don't want to uh, get off track here, but I want to come to something that you've been trading. We've been doing it on the show, and that is, of course, that uh, we thought that crude oil is going to form a new low. It traded below $40 on Friday. I was saying earlier to Rob Levy that this starts bringing out of the woodwork people making predictions that never called the drop in the first place, but all of a sudden the predictions get down to 10 bucks, 20 bucks. As I say, when someone like Gary Schilling says that, well, he's been saying it from the get-go. You know, if someone like a Joseph Schachter tells me he's looking $30, I'm listening to that because they've been on top of the market. But I do notice to try and 
filter through, that is one of my signs of either a top or a bottom when the, the dominance becomes these extreme scenarios. Yeah, that, very good point. I mean, we did have crude oil briefly, that's WTI, uh, trade below 40 bucks a barrel on Friday. Uh, that's the lowest weekly close we've had since 2009. And interestingly enough, it has closed lower for 10 consecutive weeks. That's a, a, a 29 years ago was the last time we did that. So, yeah, we, we're at an extreme relative to, you know, our sort of the history of our of a half a lifetime in the crude market. I think uh, the, you know, because the word I used at the top here was connectedness. I mean, guys that are trading currencies are paying attention to the stock market, the credit market, and crude, and so on and so on. Everybody's looking over everybody else's shoulder. Nobody's doing anything, you know, in isolation. So when the psychology starts to ripple through the markets, it's going to hit all markets. It felt a bit of an extreme uh, in terms of, you know, what's next. I could easily imagine this this selling uh, the, this worry that's in the market. I could easily imagine that uh, carrying over into early next week, and I could also easily imagine again. Remember, we're in August. That we could turn on a dime. I mean, for the last six years, it has been you've been rewarded for buying the dip. Anytime the stock market took a sell off, you've been rewarded to buy the dip. For me personally, I am very happy to just sit here and cash and say. I don't know. I am not, you know, I'm not going to spin the wheel and, you know, throw some money and see what happens. That's my money. I don't want to do that. So I'm happy to sit in cash. I don't want to try to catch a falling piano, but I think there's going to be some great opportunities as early as next week across markets. Well, we'll be here to chronicle it, keep a close eye on it. There's no shortage of fun things to be happening here. Vic, as usual, thanks very much. Hey, Mike, great. Have a great weekend. Time now for the, oh, my thanks, by the way, to Victor Adair. My thanks to Ozzy Jurek, great to have Ryan Irvine, new father, with us on the air today. And, of course, Robert Levy, my thanks to you for listening listening to Money Talks, which is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. That means you get paid first. You're first in line of the income stream, and they do that in the tech area. So for more on this, just check out soleraclub.com, S-O-L-A-R-A.com. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. Well, I think when the mainstream media gets over their self-absorbed infatuation with Mike Duffy, I say self-absorbed because I don't think the public, that's not top of list for them. It's a political drama that the media is far more interested in than the normal uh, voters. Heck, they're worried about gas prices, the rising cost of food especially. Why? Weak Canadian dollar is hurting our imports. That's costing us more money. They're worried about employment in some areas of this country. But it's interesting, when virtually every commentator interviewer gets over themselves in the Mike Duffy trial, they do understand that the main issues seem to be economic in nature. But then the stupidity fest usually starts with the persistent nonsense. And I'm a lonely voice railing against this. But a persistent nonsense that somehow the federal government controls or runs the economy. That's what you hear put to the leaders. Now, I know I keep asking this, but it is a ridiculous premise to suggest that the federal government controls the actions of 35 million Canadians, controls the action of Americans' consumers, who we need to buy our exports, who control the actions of the Chinese economy because the Chinese demand has such a big influence on commodity prices, 
or they control oil production targets for Saudi Arabia, for the U.S., for Russia, other major producers, because oversupply is killing oil prices, which the Bank of Canada says is the biggest reason our economic growth is so tepid. I mean, where does the government control or run the economy come from? Because it's nonsense. My gosh, I mentioned, I mean, we talked about China all day today. The government has a war chest of $2 trillion. They've got unlimited power. I mean, there's no opposition slowing down. They can do stuff exactly when they want. They obviously aren't controlling the economy. What about France and the democracies? That's the poster child of big government, big government spending. Biggest proportion of government compared to the overall economy of Western nations. High taxes on business. High taxes on the rich. Come on, think of all the people who demand that. You've got high rates of unionization and regulation. Yet what has it produced? Record levels of joblessness. 80 consecutive months. They've got a federal budget that hasn't been balanced since 1974. Which part of that did they want? Did they want the youth unemployment problem? I'm dying for someone in the media to ask these people who think that the government controls the economy. I mean, political leaders, our union elites, progressive academia, and way too many media commentators and editorialists. If governments can control the economy, why haven't they? We continue to talk about the wrong things. We continue to talk about dangerous things. They miss the root of so many problems. Has been government intervention. That's not meant to foster economic growth, but rather placate special interests, boost their political fortunes. And my gosh, I look around the country, and we got so many people who've done no research, don't understand history, suggesting we do more of the same. That's very goofy, but more so, it's dangerous. That's all the time we have. Hey, I want you to go to moneytalks.net. Do a business comment every day day every business day plus of course money talks but every day you can re-listen to ryan irvine if you want there's all sorts i do a midweek uh interview on the top topic of the day of the week actually all of that moneytalks.net go out and have a great weekend thank you